Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 58 for August 26th, 2011. So this will be our third episode of the Star Trek The Next Generation series uh, that was coming out in the 90s. This episode we will cover Next Gen number 7, 8, and 9 released by DC Comics. Right. 7 and 8 is one story arc, two-parter. And then definitely nine. Nine is an additional story. Uh, another yeah. carry on. Although yeah. there there is setup for issue nine uh, as far back as issue seven, I believe. Yeah, they're building up on on themselves, which is good. Yeah, they've got a little overlap between the episode or between the issues. Because they can do it here where they couldn't really do it on the show at this time. So. Right. Right. So you only get one episode or one issue a month, but it's still – it kind of carries on where the TV show, they had to hit that reset button at the end of every week. Exactly. And, and I almost like better how they do things now in TV where big, long story arcs – I know we were talking about this before – but also you know, sometimes there are gaps during the season. So mm-hmm. um, rather than – having the flexibility of like, like having standalone episodes they can put in any order they want to, more or less. You've got a story arc that has to go a certain uh, order, but then they'll just like a, take a break if they need extra time to finish production. Or sometimes they'll start the season later. It's kind of annoying, but I'd rather them do that than, than the, uh, the Fast and Furious production schedule they used to do in the old days, I think. Well, I mean, even back in Next Gen timeline, they did that. They would they would come out with about 11 episodes, and then they would take a couple months off to show some reruns, and then they would come back with the the end of the season. Yeah, to some degree. So, I mean, they've but, they've been they've been using that model for a while, which well, I guess. And I guess I'm just talking also about Battlestar Galactica. Um, well, Sopranos is an extreme example. Um, currently, what we're experiencing with um, the Walking Dead. Walking Dead. That's it, right? Walking Dead? Yeah, Walking Dead. Uh, right. Well, that, they're that was taking, just the first season. They're taking huge – well, it's only a 10-episode season, not much. But right. they're taking a lot of time off in between. And, well, and, some, and sometimes they take breaks off in between uh, until they're, they're ready to come back. So, But this is Star Trek Comic Book Review. So oh, that's right. That's right. We're off, we're, we're off in the weeds. Okay. All right. So uh, I think you're doing the synopsis for issue number seven? I am. Which is titled The Pilot, which is published date April 1990. Uh, writer Jan Michael Friedman, penciler is Pablo, Pablo Marcus and Gordon Purcell, letters Bob Pinaha, colorist Juliana Ferreter, and editor is Robert Greenberg. Okay, so the cover shows Data's head and shoulders with a male and female green skinned alien on each side of him. Below is the Enterprise-D traveling behind a green ship of unfamiliar configuration. What may be photon torpedoes appear to be exiting the alien ship and into the flight path of the Enterprise. Red explosions are in front of the Enterprise. 
title page of this issue presents the title in large, red blocky font, The Pilot. Captain's Log tells us the Enterprise has arrived at the planet Areve to provide much-needed famine relief. However, one of the two alien leaders is making a snarky comment to Picard about thinking he was gone for good, while the other one thanks their twin gods for Picard's arrival. Picard confesses his lack of understanding for their conflicting reactions. The two Erevite leaders say the Enterprise was just there two days ago and left suddenly without even opening communications with them. Picard states two days ago they were at Starbase 95 loading famine relief, relief supplies for them. They only just arrived at Areve now. The confusion is put to the side and they begin transportation of the supplies to the planet. After communication with Areve ends, Picard, Riker, and Troy discuss the confusion. Riker says they may have confused another ship for the Enterprise, but that is unlikely unless it was another Galaxy-class starship. Picard says there are no other commissioned Galaxy-class starships. Troy says the Arevite leaders believed what they said. They honestly thought they saw the Enterprise two days ago. Picard puts the mystery to the side and checks on the status of the supply transfers, which is proceeding nicely. Scene shifts to cargo room, to a cargo room where Data and Mrs. Stockton are looking for her young son Randy, who befriended Data in an earlier issue. On being teased about not having a father, Randy became upset and ran away to hide. Data's super hearing picks up Randy's breathing at the other end of the room. Mrs. Stockton suggests that at a time like this, a boy probably wants a man to find him and help him rather than his mother. Data begins to protest, saying he is an android, not a man, but she has already left the room. Meanwhile, back on the bridge, they have confirmed with Starfleet that no ships were in the area for the past two weeks. Worf informs them that an unidentified ship at warp speed is approaching them. Picard tells O'Brien to halt all transportation. O'Brien says it'll take a few moments to wrap up the in-flight transports. Worf informs Picard four people have transported onto the ship without authorization. Troy says she is picking up hostile intent from them. In the cargo room, Data is, has found Randy and is attempting to talk the upset young boy into returning with him to his quarters. Suddenly, four green-skinned, heavily-armed aliens beam into the cargo room next to Data and Randy. Data addresses them, but is ignored while they speak to each other about how Data fits all their criteria. Data takes Randy by the hand and dashes for the exit, when he is hit with some kind of energy weapon that shuts him down. The aliens take Data away and leave Randy alone in the cargo bay. On the bridge, Worf informs Picard the intruders are gone, and they took Data with them. Wesley informs them the alien ship is taking off and already accelerated to warp 6. Wesley says he is ready with a pursuit course laid in, but Picard says transferring the famine relief is top priority. Riker launches a Class 8 probe to keep track of the intruder ship while the food transfer is complete and the Enterprise can follow. On the intruder ship, Data is restrained. 
he comes to in a laboratory of some kind and meets the pilot who tells him he is a guest on the Mezzertine ship, <clears throat> Conqueror. The pilot tells Data nothing harmful will happen to him, but he will be adjusted. Data says he requires no adjustments since he is functioning at peak capacity. He asks to be returned to his ship, but the shadowy figure rejects the request. On the Enterprise, transfer of the supplies completes, and they take off after Data at warp 9 to make up ground lost to Data's abductors. Using telemetry provided by the probe, they estimate they will catch up quickly. They catch up with the kidnapper's ship and attempt hailing them. No response. Worf is thinking the abductors are warriors and they will not let Data go without a fight. Which would not be all that bad. Back on the Mezzertine ship, the pilot tells Data some pertinent Mezzertine history. How the Mezzertine were traditionally a warlike people, but success led to satisfaction and softness. A faction of the population did not succumb to the temptations of success and vowed to strike out into space and conquer other civilizations merely for the joy of it. This warrior faction needed ships, or needed a ship, and a skilled astro-tactician named Gaban, who was too old and frail for such adventures. They solved the problem by transferring Gaban's consciousness into a healthy, strong, artificial body. The pilot says that he is that astrotician, astrotactician, but since he entered an artificial body, he took on a more generic name that describes his function. He became the pilot. He goes on to explain that they are in the ship that set out from Mezzertine long ago, and that the humanoids that populate the ship are descendants of those original warriors. The pilot still finds them, their opponents, and, and devises tactics that assures their victory. Data says the story is quite interesting, but he asks what it all has to do with him. Back on the Enterprise, they have yet to hear a response from the ship that has Data, so Picard gives the order to fire a photon torpedo across their bow. Initially, there's no response. Then, suddenly, a huge bright flash of light fills the bridge, apparently from the abductor's return fire. The Enterprise is rocked. On the alien ship, the pilot answers Data's query by stating his current artificial body is wearing out, so he is going to take over Data's. Data protests on moral grounds, but the pilot is unconcerned with Data's objections. The pilot reclines into a flat platform next to Data and says, let the process begin. On the Enterprise, Worf reports minor injuries to 31 crewmen, and shields are down to 23%. He asks to return fire, but Picard says no, since their weaponry appears to be superior to the Federation's flagship. They receive an audio communication from the attacking ship. They state that scans of the Enterprise indicate it holds supplies they want, and to transport them over immediately. Picard refuses and demands the return of data. They state their military superiority, and says if they do not comply with the supplies, they will destroy the Enterprise. Picard stands his ground and says, if they are so superior, then why won't they show themselves? The voice says, very well, and transmits a video feed. 
what appears to be Data in an all-white battle armor with warriors at his side is displayed on the bridge viewer. He says he cannot return Data because he no longer exists. And the pilot lives. (laughs) The end. Or to be continued. Although the pilot there is smiling, he is not laughing like that, Ken. <laughs> well, come on. I, I'm looking at that. He's got the smile. He, he looks like – I thought it was lore when I was, you know, thumbing through the book originally. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, in that picture, he's got like, like the – between his eyes and a smile, he just looks diabolical and like he's got all the cards. And he does. But, and so, he's wearing that awesome Stormtrooper armor. It, it does kind of look like Stormtrooper armor. Okay, so, so what do you think? Uh, I like the story. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good setup. Uh, we all care about uh, Data. He's a very lovable pe- character. We don't want to see him grabbed. So uh, yeah, I do like it. Yeah. Now I don't know if it's just my faulty memory uh, playing tricks on me, but is there an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation with this plot where someone takes Data's body and transfers their minds to it? Um. There is an episode where Data and two other crewmen have conscious uh, consciousnesses inserted into their bodies. So yes, but there's I think there's three crewmen that that happens to. Do you remember what that episode's called? I do not. I do not. But I do remember that Data and Worf almost come to blows. And Worf is uh, wise enough to control his anger because he knows Data can, can kick his butt. Uh, that's right. I, I, I kind of like that part because, you know, yeah, what, you know, it's always like, can Captain America fight Spider-Man? Who would win? Or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, kind of Data and Worf, who would win? Well, I guess Data, but still. Yeah. Well, when I was reading this, I kept thinking there is an episode and I just for the life of me can't remember and I didn't bother to try to find it. <laughs> well, we got we got things to do. We got we got regular lives, but yeah. Oh, right. so one, one where it's only data that's that's taken over? No, I just remember data being somebody else. But it right. might be that there was more than one person, and I just don't remember all that. Yeah, he was taken over by you know some regular regular kind of humans with or humanoids, not alien, but they had oh, like emotions and stuff. I know what I'm thinking of. Silly what? me. Santa Claus took over Data's body, and uh, issue number oh, four. Oh, this is a setup. It really wasn't, but this I just. This is a setup. It really wasn't. I just thought of that, though. I was like, oh, yeah, there was another comic book where Santa Claus took over Data's body, too. Santa Claus? <laughs> Wait, but what are you talking about, Santa? Wait, oh, wait, come wait. on. You got to remember that. Are you. I thought. Was that You're... Data, or was that, uh, that, that Spock that got taken over? It was Data. Data, okay. Yeah. So, so, so this isn't the Grinch one, is it? Yeah, it was the Grinch one. Okay. And the Grinch one was next gen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was issue number four, I think. Wow, you're good. Well, uh, I'm only good yeah. because you're not going to check to see if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, it was one of the original six issues of that miniseries. Okay. And it wasn't good. No. No, the, the the Grinch Christmas thing that that episode sucked. Right, but but that's not what I was thinking of when I was thinking that there wasn't a, a movie or an episode where um, Data was taken over. Okay, okay, that's fine. We can move on. Okay, I thought it was a little odd when 
and I guess I should know this, but um, when Picard says there are no other Galaxy class ships commissioned, it's like, okay, I, 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 I guess I remember that at the beginning of Next Gen, the Enterprise D might have been unique. But I know definitely by the time D Space Nine came around and, and, and other episodes, I think later episodes of, of uh, Next Gen, we saw some other um, Galaxy class starships. But uh, right, and I yeah, know that so. in um, in the Deep Space Nine flashbacks of Wolf Three Five Nine, they have Galaxy class ships getting blown up, and you know that would have happened here in season three. Huh. So that's a good point. Ooh, that's a very good point. Hmm. But yeah, I had the same note. I was like, that seems weird that he's so adamant that there's no other Galaxy class starships. Yeah, and you wouldn't think. I mean, I mean, considering who the author is, um, you wouldn't think he would make a mistake like that. So I, I'm, I'm kind of guessing he's probably right. But well, it might be that he, you know, he was probably right at the time, you know, because like I said, Wolf Three Five Nine, the yeah. episode happens here in season three, but he wouldn't have known that when he wrote this and. They don't show the actual battle until the first episode of Deep Space Nine. So, oh, you know, probably at the time he wrote this, that was a true statement. Hmm. Cool. Okay. But, I thought it was but yeah, uh, it, it was weird. Yeah. Um, I thought O'Brien's head, forehead was huge on page seven. It's still not as bad as it was last last issues. Well, he looked weird in the last issue, but this one in particular, he looks okay, except that his forehead is greatly elongated, I thought. Right. I mean, Same he had a lot of hairline. Yeah. It's still overdone, but it, it is. It looks yeah. it looks comical. <laughs> Did you see the mistake on page 13? Mistake on page 13. I didn't write it down if I did. It it confused me at first because um I had read through it. And I had just read through, and I saw what happened, and I thought I thought the pilot was one of the green-skinned people, and the doctor that was off on the right, he was just some kind of scientist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on page 13, there's a green-skinned, long-haired mezzotine that's approaching Data, who's all, like, like bolted into a, a platform kind of thing. Um, right. And she's calling herself the pilot. Oh, yeah. You may call while, the pilot. Exactly. While the white lab-coated guy, who is the pilot, is off on the right. I mean, he, he's like to the right of the of the panel. Mm-hmm. And the dialogue balloons are clearly drawn that is coming from the green-skinned uh, uh, mezzotine warrior, not from the gray-skinned guy who's over on the right. Yeah, you're right. I did not notice that. So it threw me off. My synopsis was wrong at first. Uh, and then I went back and looked again. Huh? Wait a minute. The, the, the lab coat guy is, is the pilot. Anyway, so very odd. Yeah, good point. Now, anyway. since, we, since you're talking about the robot pilot in his original form, yes. uh, he seems to be a pretty advanced cybernetic life form. He does. And he's hundreds of years old. So is he supposed he to is. be one of those androids that – Mud was toying around with because oh well I I don't know but I mean they well, act but... like Data's the first android and yet we have so many so many instances of the original series where they had very human like androids right and but then was he's it... acting like he's he's the only one and that's why and he's fallen apart and that's why he needs to transfer his consciousness to Data right 
Um, since they're only on one ship, so they, they have limited resources, mm -hmm. I'm not surprised they're having difficulty build another, building another robot. Um, although you'd think if you'd have the spare parts, or even you could get the parts from conquering people, you know, conquering ships and stuff. But right. I, I guess I'm not that that put out with the idea that they don't have the ability, the, the technology on that ship to, to, to build a replacement. Right, but I mean, their, their, their ship is incredibly powerful. I mean, it Apparently. takes out the Enterprise with one shot. Uh, it comes close to it, 23% power, I mean, 23% shields. Right, so it takes it down 75%. Exactly. With one right. shot. Yep. So if they would have shot twice, the Enterprise would have been destroyed. So, yeah. you know, I don't see right. that they would have a problem conquering other other people that can create robots. And well, I don't know. It, yeah, maybe and I'm that's... just getting hung up on the, you know, in the original series, every other episode, they came across another civilization that had robots that looked like <laughs> human females, usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, usually hot on. human females. Right. Uh and then in next gen, Data's the only android ever, and uh, wow. I, I'm Helped just by Federation picky. science, right? But I did think it was funny that that the pilot doesn't look like the the mezzanine. Well, he does, except for the skin color. Well, but he doesn't have those weird collarbone things that the other ones do. Well, he he he's like somewhere between a human. And a mezzotine. So I'll... I agree with that. He looks more like a Klingon to me. A Klingon? <laughs> that could be. That could be. Um, so what do you think the mezzotine look like? They look like a... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Marvel comics, but they look like scrolls. Or scrolls, right. Oh, you, you noticed that too, huh? Yes. Cool. But, well, actually they look somewhere between that and the Hulk. Because, I mean, at least in parts of the face. Now, I mean, I'm not, not the huge... I mean, basically the, the, the skin, the, the flesh around the eyes are huge on these guys. But the fact that they got, like, really small noses and really big amount of skin uh, beneath their nose and above their mouth, that mm -hmm. reminded me a little bit of, uh, of Hulk. And then okay. there's, a, there's a female screaming, like on page 16. Right. Rah! You know, and that, that reminded me a little bit of Hulk's. But yeah, so, so scrolls, right? Scrolls. I, I'm familiar with them. I've I haven't read that many issues with them, but I know they've been in the Marvel universe for ages. I'm gonna turn you into a full fledged comic book nerd before this is all over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, I do like their design and uh, and their three fingered hands. Uh, I think I think it's an actually pretty cool alien design. Right. I. I I just don't get the collarbones that stick out of their chests. At first, I thought it was just their armor, but then when they're yeah, when they're that naked, is they odd, also have it? it. Oh, they show them naked. Okay. Well, not naked, but with the, some of the women have very low cut dresses and and the these green little arm antenna looking things are coming out. And when Donovan says bones coming out like collarbones coming out i mean he literally means that so one end is attached to their body and the other hand and the other end is like just hanging out into space kind of like a, a big antennae that are that are not on their heads but on their chests very right. odd looking very yeah odd. it looks kind of cool when it, when i thought it was part of their armor but then when i saw them, you know it's coming out of their skin itself i thought it was a little weird yeah looks like it would get in the way 
hey, if I was in a fight with one of those guys, that's the first thing I'd grab. Grab those things and rip, you know, rip at them. Uh, I, I don't think that could possibly be, uh, be good feeling. But, but you do make an interesting point. I mean, he's definitely got um, – he's somewhere between the alien and, and like a human-looking thing. I mean, if you discount the, the, the gray skin color. Right. And he has five fingers where the, uh, the aliens only have four, exactly, three. Exactly. Exactly. So where – they didn't explain exactly where they got the artificial um, – life form that, 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 that the pilot went into, but that's a very good point. I didn't notice the five fingers before, but yeah, he's got human hands. Hmm. And when they do a close-up of his face, he looks like Goldicott. That's why... Oh, yeah, he does. He does. He does look has like that same facial structure. Right. Hmm. And isn't it cool about the his his irises? Yeah, they, they are pretty cool. So but, yeah. his... Oh, okay. So his irises look like the the defensive Irish iris on the uh, Stargate in Cheyenne Mountain on Star, Stargate SG One. So they they have they, got a a metal iris that shuts down that that prevents anybody from gating in if they don't want them to. And the kind of overlapping kind of metal sheet kind of things is what makes up uh, his iris, which I think is really cool. It is cool. It reminds you that he is uh, artificial. It's kind of like the little pulsating orifice thing that's on Voyager. Uh, V'ger, excuse me. V'ger, right. Okay, right. I got you. Exactly. I agree. So, Exactly. Yep. Yeah, there, he looked cool in parts, but it didn't really make sense why he didn't look like the aliens and why well, he had to transfer himself into data, except it's convenient to the plot. Exactly, and I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I think that is really interesting, and I would like to know the backstory why they made it that way, because I don't think that was just a mistake. Oh, right? why he looks human? Yes, that's why I was saying maybe they yeah, took one of right. those original series android people <laughs> and kind of yeah, modified but... it a little bit with the head okay. ridges, and, and they'd have to because definitely though though those folks looked a hundred percent human that Mud was messing with. And this guy looks somewhere in between. Yep. And and I thought because of the fact that the skin color was different from the Mezzertine guys, I thought that was kind of like, you know, how data skin color is different from humans? Oh, yeah. So I thought, okay, is that what they're trying to do? Kind of like a different skin color kind of thing, like data? I don't know. Yeah, but if you look at his arms and stuff, his his legs, they, they look very metallic. And they have, like, little joints. He looks like an action oh, figure. Oh, yeah, right, 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 yeah. Yeah, yep, he yep. has like a little hinge for his elbow and his knees. He looks exactly. very G.I. Joe-ish. <laughs> you know, I didn't notice that. So he does not have pants on. He has black plastic G.I. Joe legs and, and hip. <laughs> he does indeed. He does indeed, sir. Yes, he does. Uh, no wonder he wants to be Data. He wants to grab Data's body. Because hmm. Data is anatomically correct. <laughs> as we have found out, as Troy did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I got a question, and, and and maybe I just haven't gazed into Patrick Stewart's eyes enough, but is his eyes brown or blue? What are they? Picard? Yeah. I, I thought he had blue eyes, but See? not a, but not in this episode, not not in this comic. Yeah, in this issue he has brown right. eyes. Brown eyes, right, right, right. And I always thought Patrick Stewart had green eyes. And by the way, I in that joke I met a few minutes ago, I meant Yar, not Troy. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> I, I, didn't yar. Even, I didn't even catch your mistake. Sorry about that. But you knew what I was talking about, even though I used the wrong name. Of course they knew what you were Of course. About. I'm sure the audience did, too, even though I made my mistake. So so hold back on your letters. I caught my own mistake. Okay? <laughs> Thanks. <sighs> okay. <laughs> okay. I think the pilot's command share on, the, on that ship, the, the Conqueror, uh, reminds me of Kirk's chair in the original series. You know, it's kind of like on a pedestal kind of thing, and it's kind of like 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 the armrests are kind of blocky. But of course, it's all blue in this, yep. as opposed to the multiple colors in. Uh... In next issue, he is, but in this one, he's always standing in. Okay, it's next issue. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a comment from issue eight. Sorry, I'm back. I think I would like to just make a comment about Farscape and how the pilot uh, on Moya, their living ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Farscape, is also called The Pilot. Okay, I just want to just also mention that the Class 8 probe makes another guest appearance. I thought it was a Class 9 probe. Before? No, this one. It's I th- I, Class 8. Oh, okay. Class 8, so we keep on using these warp-enabled uh, probes, so Friedman likes those Class 8 or, uh, probes that can go really fast. So, good for you. Yeah. Okay, I got one last comment on this thing. Okay. Uh, I thought the hands-down superiority of the Conqueror ship to the Enterprise, I just thought was a little surprising. It's the flagship of the Federation, okay? And, I mean, you know, so so what? what is it, like a Borg cube? Is it the Scimitar? You know, what, you know, what makes this thing so special? And, yeah, of course, the Scimitar. It, it's one shot. Shizan's ship. Yeah, exactly. Well, even she's on the ship couldn't take out the Enterprise E. They had to ram it. Well, the Enterprise rammed it, but no, or no, it wasn't. It wasn't evenly matched. They were they were running like crazy, but it did take a lot more shots from the Scimitar to, uh, you know, to 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 to, to take the Enterprise down um, than this. Right, you know, one I, shot. I agree. Now, I, I do thought... like the artwork when they do get hit, and you see everybody flying around on the bridge. It's, it's actually pretty good. Yeah. And again, if you had inertial dampening, you shouldn't be flying around the ship. But I've said that before, and I'll say it again. Anyway, yes, but yeah, it does look pretty good. I mean, Picard's like, I'm flying, I'm flying, I'm Peter Pan. And and Troy's hair is all whipping back behind her. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, Troy uh, actually does look pretty good. I mean, I mean the, the, the hair is good, and she's being lifted out of her seat. Um... Now, when we get to the last issue today, I just want to point out that on that panel that you're so enamored with, where the crew is being ju- thrown across yeah. the bridge, there's a woman there uh, at the at the helm station right, with, with really weird hair. Mm-hmm. Really weird hair. Now, there's going to be a guy in the last issue with also really weird hair, a little bit like hers. And I just want to remember that when we get to the last issue, because I want to know what the heck that this guy is. I don't get this 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 helmsman who's at the in the in the ninth issue. Anyway, just keep that in mind. Let's go. Okay, uh, I don't remember who you're talking about, but okay. Well, well, okay, so we'll, we'll get there. All right, Star Trek: Next Generation, number eight, called "The Battle Within." May 1990, and all of the same writers, pencilers, artists, and letterers of the last issue. 
So the cover starts off with Riker swinging over a rail to dodge some blasts from from the uh, green-skinned aliens' phasers. It's a very dramatic pose, uh, yet Riker's face is kind of disturbingly calm. <laughs> it just it, it's a it's a very odd contrast between what his body is doing and and how calm his face is. He's got Kirk here too. Yeah, I guess it so. Moving. He has that one little strand. Anyways, Data, with an evil smirk, is informing the crew that he is now the pilot. And the pilot dominates the view screen, so he's taking up the whole wall there. And he's demanding that P Picard hand over the list of supplies immediately. When Picard says that he needs some more time, the pilot gives them ten minutes. Picard and the crew take advantage of these ten minutes to discuss the situation. They think that since the pilot gave them the time, that instead of just blasting the ship outright, that uh, they think that maybe Data is still in there vying for control. Troy agrees since she was sensing the conflict within Pilot's feelings. They are also discussing how all the ship's functions, uh, all the alien ship's functions, seem to be linked directly to the pilot, uh, to the pilot's new body. Uh, and that he is somehow always in contact with the ship, even though he's not physically connected to anything. And then it's quite comical because they try to explain the very foreign concept of wireless communication and what we all know uh, as Bluetooth connectivity. So those few pages are quite funny, trying to explain how things can be wireless in this day and age. Anyways, back to the story. Riker states that he can, uh, or he starts to hatch a plan that if they take out the pilot, then that would leave the ship completely unmanned or uh, uncontrollable. So we go back to the alien ship, and the pilot is questioned uh, about his leniency towards the humans by one of the crew members. Uh, the pilot puts the debate to a quick end and proves that he is still the pilot, and he just proves it by yelling at him and berating him a little bit. In the sick bay of the Enterprise, Randy and his mom is visiting Dr. Crusher. It seems that the mom has a broken wrist, I guess from the single shot in the last issue. Randy is upset about Data leaving, and, and Crusher explains to him that Data is choosing to stay with the aliens instead of coming back, which I thought was very weird instead of just explaining to the little boy how Data was kidnapped and brainwashed. So instead she's kind of making it sound like he's choosing not to come back, which I think is going to do a lot more, which is going to lead to a lot more confusion to a little boy than, than just telling him the truth. Anyways, uh, as the supplies start to be beamed over to the alien vessel, uh, some of the grunts on the alien ship are taking a few boxes to put them in storage, and from one of the other containers pops Riker. And in his thought balloons, he acknowledges that it sure is convenient to the plot that none of the boxes were ever scanned for anything other than their intended contents. On the Enterprise bridge, Picard is still stalling, saying that the transportation of the supplies is going, but it's going to take several loads. On the alien ship, the, the crew continue to think that maybe the pilot is not quite acting like himself. Uh, Riker makes it to the control room that interfaces with the pilot, uh, and he starts to get ready for his sabotage. Back on the bridge, Picard starts to plead directly to Data, imploring him to break through the pilot's control. 
this really angers the pilot, and he orders the his crew to start firing on the Enterprise. Just then, little Randy runs onto the bridge and pleads with Data to come back home. This causes the Data pilot to become some sort of internal turmoil, uh, just long enough to distract him while Riker starts to blow up the control system and to take out quite a few of the alien crew with his phaser. Ultimately, Riker is captured. Uh, without pilot in control of the ship any longer, uh, it starts to head straight towards the nearest star. Riker is brought onto the bridge, and Picard tells the pilot that they can save the alien craft if he is willing to transfer himself back into his old body and return Data and Riker to the Enterprise. When the pilot informs him that that would mean that he would eventually die, Picard points out that without their help, they will die very shortly uh, within the, the star. The pilot eventually agrees, and the Enterprise locks on with the, uh, with the transporter beam and steers the ship away from its doom. We have the final few panels where Picard invites Randy to head to the transporter room to welcome Data back home. The end. Happy endings all around. Yep. Yeah. I really dig the Stormtrooper armor and the red cape. Oh, he has a red cape? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Oh, that's right. It is a red cape behind. How melodramatic. <laughs> I mean, who would... Who needs a cape? Okay, it's a comic book. Fine. Whatever. He, he looks like a, a like a, a Roman Caesar or something like that. Yeah, or Thor. With or a die job or something. On, his, <laughs> on everything but his cape. Cool. Yeah, I, I think the costume is really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, what'd you think of this issue? The uh, the finale of the two parter. I thought it was. I thought it was good. I liked it, except for just a few things, if I may mention. You may. Something that happens at the end, uh, which I think, I think you didn't mention it, just because it is a synopsis. Um, I think it's Troy that asks Picard what he thinks is going to end up happening to the Mezzertine now that they don't have the pilot. Uh, right, and the inter or the pilot's going to go down, but they definitely don't have the interface. So, um, and what he says is basically they're going to have to they're going to have to change the uh, change the ship, reconfigure it so they can pilot themselves without having to use the pilot. And the pilot's going to go out anyway. You know, eventually right. he's going to he's going to run down. So they're going to have to learn how to do get along without him. And uh, and he says. Uh, what, what they're they're going to hopefully find more peaceful pursuits or something. It's like you know, without the ta tactical brilliance uh, of of the pilot, and it's like really okay. So number one, why can't they just fix the pilot interface? Well, you know? eventually the pilot's going to die if he can't get another body, and since right, Data is right, the right, only right. android ever to exist, okay. what well, body that, is he going to get? No, 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 no. He's not the only one to ever exist. He's the only one that Federation science has built. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's really it, because like you say, even even in the original track, you know, they, they, they encountered all kinds of other, alien, uh, Everybody, other robots. When the next gen started... Right there with the encounter at Farpoint, well, well, all yeah. that other stuff was forgotten, kid. Well, now, now, now. There's too Federation many Science. There's too many references in Star Trek: The Next Generation to Data and Lore being the only androids 
to exist. Blah, 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 blah. Don't buy it. But okay, let, let's give that. May I make my, my next point? <laughs> Please. Okay. Uh, and, and this is partially having to do with your, your, your clinging to that same unlikely idea. But there's all kinds of different aliens out there with different levels of technology. Uh, of course, ones that would be able to uh, <laughs> create a, a robot also. Um, that may have nothing to do with Federation, the Federation, uh, you know, keep on looking for another artificial body. I mean, it's like, come on. I mean, they can do that. Uh, and let's say that they don't do that. Let's say they, they, they forget about the pilot and they go ahead and they fix their ship and they actually install a helm station so they can steer the damn thing by manual control. These guys are dangerous. They're nutcases. I mean, they're <laughs> like they're like the Klingons, but worse. Well, I don't know about worse, but I mean, they're just ru- they're just running around uh, pirating ships uh, or maybe attacking small colonies. These mm-hmm. guys are dangerous. I mean, these guys could go out and attack federate other Federation uh, interests. I-, I think it was a little bit too much of a pat got to get this all done at the end of the issue kind of situation. Um, I-, I agree, a- and they let them go pretty much scot free and. Uh... You're right. It doesn't make sense. I didn't bring it up because I didn't care for that part, and I thought I would just give the glance highlights. O- glance over it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I didn't like that part of it. I didn't like it. One well, there was a lot of plot holes in this one, like like the one I mentioned with their brilliant plan was to be, beam uh, Riker over oh, in, yeah. the, in the storage pods, yes. and nobody noticed. <laughs> Come on. Well, not only that. If you're going to send boxes over like that, I wouldn't send Riker alone. I'd send Worf with him. It's still I, ridiculous I, I, I that they even were guy. able to do that. Well, I, I agree. Because they're, they're, they're not very smart, are they? <laughs> it, 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 I mean, isn't anybody going to look at the supplies to know that they're the real supplies and not just empty boxes? I don't know. Right. Haven't they watched enough gangster movies that when you get a briefcase of money – you look past the first bill to make sure that it's not just newspaper with a hundred on top. <laughs> Come I on. agree. I agree. And and you know, once you get past the fact that they did that, that 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 uh, Trojan horse kind of thing, um, it's actually a pretty clever uh, way to take out a superior force. But I'll also say another problem here is. They sure did figure out an awful, awful fast about the uh, Conqueror's dependency on that link between the pilot and the, the ship's navigational systems. Right, and I didn't mention how it's, how it's depicted in, in this comic book, but it's depicted as this huge room with these four like antennae-type things with little balls on it, and there's like <laughs> lightning coming from the ball to... <laughs> Right, it's ridiculous looking. It is, but I mean, okay. So I I forgot what they say. They were scanning the ship, and they were able to figure this out or something. I mean, how who figured that out? Was it Jordy? I don't know. Okay, well, I think well, Jordy was the one that mentioned that they uh, were dependent on on the okay on the pilot, and that's that makes sense. It's just that when they're talking, they had just come into contact with these guys, right? Um, Actually, you know what? It's Troy who who says that it's all they're all dependent on the uh, on the pilot. 
on the pilot. But she's able to figure out it's there's this interface device that is the only thing that can control the ship. Right, because cause she mentions it, and then Crusher's like, you mean he controls it by telepathy? And she's like, no, it's more like some... And then she basically explains what, you know, Bluetooth-type stuff is. <laughs> they, <laughs> they connected to it without actually having wires stuck in his head. Right, right, right. right. And then Jordy's like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That's, but, that's, but where, this... that's, that's all the explanation they get. Okay, so, so I suppose it makes some more sense that something like Troy's amazing telepathic abilities or sensing abilities might be able to figure out something. Uh, but no, this is like hardware stuff. And I, 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 anyway, it's their Achilles heel. And the fact that they found out about the Achilles heel within the 10 minutes they had to, sh to, to get supplies together to ship over. Um, and maybe a little bit of time they had when they had first come out of warp and when they caught up with them and they were hailing them and then they were shooting the photon or torpedo across. You add all that up, that's not a lot of time. But they figured out all this. It's like, I don't know. I mean, other than that, I thought it was a pretty clever way to be able to take out a superior force. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I like the first issue set up better than this one. Yeah. The the only thing this one had going for it, which I really liked, was Data's Stormtrooper superhero outfit. <laughs> True. I love that costume. Okay. And, and little Randy being able to break through a little bit. Yeah. With, uh, come home, Data. Come home. Uh, and wouldn't you think that would be more like an emotional reaction that would really, you know, get through? Right. As opposed to an intellectual one? But whatever. He doesn't have the emotion chip yet, so. Yeah, and and was I wrong on uh, Crusher's weird explanation as to what's going on when she's trying to sugarcoat it for Randy? Didn't yeah, that I, I seem really agree. awkward. I, that I agree. I I don't know. I don't know why she put it that way. She's like making it a million times worse. Well, I can't tell him that he's been kidnapped or brainwashed because that's you know that's too violent. So I'm going to tell him that. He he's just decided. doesn't love you anymore, and exactly. he's gone away to do another family. <laughs> that he's just decided not to be near you anymore, kid. He doesn't love you anymore. He's never yeah. going to be your real dad. Get over <laughs> it. Which he's not going to anyway, because in the end, he's a robot. Anyway. <laughs> I just thought so, it was weird, and I'm like, and she's supposed to be the motherly... She's yeah, the only mother on the ship that we it's... actually get a day-to-day -day contact with, and she's exactly. horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. I guess since Wesley was a boy genius, she never had to have these kind of conversations with him. Well, maybe that's why Wesley's so maladjusted. Now we know. It was the mothering. Well, let's save some of the mothering uh, comments for uh, next the issue. With next the, issue? Because there is some mothering the, stuff. The Crusher son-mother dynamic. Exactly. Did you notice that the pilot's command chair reminds me a lot of Kirk's? Hmm, let me look. You're talking about on page five, that big blue chair. I want yeah, to make it sure kind of looks the right like page. Oh, yeah, like it. page ten actually. The top of page ten. Oh yeah, on page hand. ten it looks more like Kirk's chair than on page five. Yeah, if you look on page, yeah, I didn't see page. I didn't go back to page five, but page five doesn't look as much like Kirk's chair. It's got some scrolly stuff going on. But mm -hmm. if you look on page ten, 
um, you know, it's it's really set up on like a pedestal kind of thing, and it's kind of the sides are kind of blocky, and eh. yep, that's what I thought. Well, it's a it's an old ship; it's several hundred years old, so oh, maybe they go. bought it from the same manufacturer that Kirk's chair came from. Maybe wholesale. That's all I have to say about that one. Uh, the last thing I have is the reason why Randy and his mother is in sickbay, which I thought was weird. So uh, I think her name's Dara. She says that she basically has a broken wrist and Crusher gives her medicine. Basically says, take two of these and you'll be fine. What? I mean, well, how, is, is, it, she, how it, is she fixing a broken bone with medicine and not just zapping it with the little hand scanner thing that mends bones? Well, isn't that like... Um... McCoy in Star Trek Four when he's in that 20th century hospital and he gives a lady a pill and then a few <laughs> minutes later she's saying, my spleen grew back or whatever. It was her kidneys. My kidneys grown back. Ah, how are you going to know your kidneys grew back? Jeez. <laughs> it's only been like five minutes. Anyway. Well, it was a magic pill. But, but anyways, why is okay, she giving her any kind of medicine and not just Zapping you know, her with something. Scanning like it and mending the bone that way. Maybe the future is a lot more drug-dependent than we think. <laughs> they only think that the wounds are closing up. They're really just like on morphine or something. So the only thing – I do have one more thing. Um, on page do. 15, they yes. forgot to color data, the correct color. They they give him Ooh, flesh tones. I, let, let me look at this. Oh, they do? Oh. Yeah, That's, when he's when he's yelling at uh, Troy, he's he's just as dark as she is. Oh yes, yes, quite true, quite true. I I did not notice that. Number All nine, right. please. All right, number nine is called the payoff. Published date June nineteen ninety. It's pretty much the same people. Only I think the first issue had an extra penciler, but we're back to Pablo on this one. That's right. Yeah, the first two had a guest. Uh, it was Pablo and that other guy. Okay. Okay, synopsis. The cover shows Data, Picard, and Worf's heads across the top. Deanna's head and upper torso is shown beneath the Mount Rushmorian heads. Enterprise D is to the right of Deanna. Text at the top of the cover asks, Can they save Dr. Crusher's life? The title page shows Picard in a spirited fencing match with crewman Lejos. Cesar. Yeah, that's it. Picard's superior experience is scoring multiple kills for him, but Leos is apparently learning much from the match with Picard, who was apparently an excellent fencer. Just as the match is ending, a call comes in for Picard from Admiral Rosendrum at Starbase 104. Picard takes the call in his quarters. The agitated ad admiral accuses Picard of trying to start a war with the Ferengi. Rosendrum says the Ferengi claim to have seen the Enterprise in their space two days ago. They said if they had ships in the area, they would have delivered the Enterprise's remains as proof. Perplexed, Picard assures the admiral that they have been nowhere near Ferengi space in a long time, much less two days ago. The Admiral orders Picard and the Enterprise to Starbase 104 to get to the bottom of it. Picard agrees. The call ends and Picard sits to ponder this not 
at all new mystery. The sick, in the sick bay, Dr. Crusher is attending to the broken arm of a crewman named Galen. She turns pale and drops to the ground unconscious. Galen calls for help. Later, Picard and Wesley are sitting in a sick bay waiting room. Wesley is whining about how someone must help his mother. Picard assures him the best Starfleet has to offer is helping her. So stop your whining, little trooper. A doctor enters, saying Dr. Crusher is resting comfortably and they can see her. They walk to Beverly's bedside, where she is looking tired and weak, but she speaks. It turns out she's got Rhyhenia, which she contracted on the planet of Ornoth. Or, I'm sorry, Onor. That's it. Planet Onor. Decades ago. Long incubation periods are one of its more insidious characteristics. After losing millions to the disease, the Onoranians found a cure. However, because the cure's creation uh, broke one of their cultural taboos, they kept its details secret from Dr. Crusher, who was sent there as an advisor to the distribution of the cure by the Federation. At the time, the Federation did not push the Anororians for those details because they believed only inhabit inhabitants of that planet could contract it. Unfortunately, they were wrong. Since Rahenia is 100% fatal and the only cure is Anora, Picard gives the order for the Enterprise to go there at top speed. Number one. As he and Wesley Leave sickbay, Picard thinks about the ramifications of heading to uh, Anor and belaying Admiral Rostrum's orders to, to report to Starbase 104 immediately. It will look like it'll look to some that Picard is avoiding the investigation and therefore guilty in the Ferengi matter. He says he will just have to deal with the accusations later since he cannot get more crusher blood on his hands. On approach to Anor, Riker asks Picard for more information on that call from Starbase 104. Picard, de Picard declines to tell him to avoid getting Riker dragged into the hornet's nest Picard knows he will be in soon. They open a channel to Pell, the speaker for the Anoran Council. Picard makes his request for the cure, but is told he must go through the Ministry of Commerce, since the cure is, a, is strictly regulated by them. Riker asks for clarification whether the Anorans are asking them to pay for the cure. A rude reply from off-camera states, Of course, human. What did you think you could do? Just steal it like you do so much others? Sorry. I that was lapsed great. Into, I lapsed into Yoda. Uh, the speaker comes into view, and it's a Ferengi named Bagla, who seems to think he has Picard over a barrel, and indeed, he so far appears to hold all the cards. The Anoran 
speaker confirms that though he would like to help Dr. Crusher, it would be unethical for him to break agreements made with the Ferengi. Picard, seeing no way out for the moment, asks what price the Ferengi is asking. He replies, the plans for the Enterprise's engines, human or human. Ah, well, I, I, I know they pronounce it weird. Riker says, even if they want to give the Ferengi the plans, they could not since it would be a very serious breach of Starfleet regulations. The Ferengi sticks to his price, which triggers an outburst from Wesley. Picard relieves him of duty at the helm station, and he leaves the bridge in an understandably irate mode. The Ferengi terminates the connection, addressing himself as the Minister of Commerce. Will asks Picard what he will do, and Picard replies he honestly does not know. Riker comments that giving the Ferengi Federation engine information would give them the upper hand in future encounters with Ferengi ships, which can't be allowed. Riker, Troy, and Picard have a discussion on ethics and the worth of one human life versus many. They end up in the same situation. They can't pay the Ferengi price, and they can't let Beverly die. In sickbay, Wesley is at his mother's side, telling her of the Ferengi's control of, of the cure. Beverly says the price is too high. Wesley says there must be a way to get the cure and not give up the plans. He runs out of sickbay as if he has just had a brilliant idea. Later, Picard is on the bridge, talking again with the scoundrel Bagla. Picard agrees to transport him and a hard copy of the plans, or Picard agrees to transport to him a hard copy of the plans if Bagla simultaneously transports the cure to the Enterprise. After Picard gives Bagla additional assurances that the hard copy will be genuine and not tampered with in any way, Bagla agrees. The trade is made and the cure administered to Dr. Crusher. Later, Bagla calls Picard, screaming Picard's name, Picard, and accusing Picard of tricking him. Picard disagrees, saying Bagla wanted the plans for the Enterprise's engines, and he got them. Of course, the true Starship Enterprise is the original Starship Enterprise, NCC-1701, which is over 100 years old. Sorry! Bagla says he has no use for 100-year-old technology, to which Picard says he cannot concern himself with someone who would play games with the life of another being merely for profit. Picard out. Dr. Avia reports from sickbay that the medicine is working, and though it will take some time, Dr. Crusher should make a full recovery. Picard comments on how Wesley's idea allowed his mother to live and Picard to avoid the most difficult decision of his entire life. As Picard is giving the order to make best speed to Starbase 104, Worf interrupts to tell him that two Federation ships are approaching them. Captain Lavelle hails the Enterprise and Picard tells Worf to put him on screen. Picard tells Lavelle he has already given the orders to return to Starbase 104. But if they feel compelled to accompany them there, they are more than welcome to. Lavelle concludes that Picard admits 
to the crime in question. Picard says he admits to nothing, and that they were nowhere near the Ferengi border when they... Captain Lavelle interrupts and angrily states, that is not the crime in question. The crime in question is the destruction of the USS Nairobi with 480 souls aboard. Horrified, Picard can only say, what? Lavelle goes on to say that Picard is being charged with the wanton destruction of a Starfleet vessel and all her crew. He is under orders to bring Picard and Enterprise back any way they have to. To be continued. Okay. That was nice. You had sound effects and you had I did, and that time I actually did it, as opposed to editing in, in later. Did it sound okay? It sounded great. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Okay, so uh, there you go. I thought that was such an incredibly dramatic to be continued that it, it deserved the music. Uh, yeah, that's good. And if that's good enough for the Family Guy team to use, <laughs> it's good enough for me. Uh, that was when uh, Stewie killed Lois. Exactly. Yeah. And, of course, they also used the, the, the same type. You know, the same... I mean, almost everything was the same. It was yeah. so cool when they did that. Yeah, so this, this issue has a cover date of June 1990. And uh, I don't know where you were on June 18th, 1990. But I know where I was. And that was sitting in front of the TV watching Star Trek The Next Generation Best of Both Worlds Part 1. And it just blew my mind. It they did. killed him. It's all over. It's going to be completely different next year. Yo, yeah. Well, I don't know if I was quite thinking that. But I was thinking, how the heck are they going to get Picard out of this? No, I'd already written him off. It was it was over. Shelby <laughs> was going to be the new number one. Riker was <laughs> the captain. I mean, they had already set it up for me. And I was like, oh, I guess he wanted to do something else. Oh, I, I, I didn't think that. Um, I, well, you I were mean, a little I, older than me. You were you were wiser to I the uh, TV tricks than I was. Yeah, yeah, I was already out of college and into into work. But um, yeah, the the my by, hands down, there's no question about it. Although there are some excellent other episodes, my favorite uh, next gen episodes are 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 those two, uh, part one and part two. Yeah, which we'll talk, we'll talk more about those in the elsewhere in Star Trek since that did come out this month. Excellent. So, so what do you think of the uh, of the story? Uh, I did not care for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it was, uh, I thought, a little slow, and and you know, it, there was some comical parts with the Ferengi trying to you know metal and things like that, and then. The whole trick about them giving uh, the old Enterprise uh, plans—I I like that part. Yeah, in that they, you know, trick the trickster kind of thing. Exactly. But uh, overall, I didn't think I thought I didn't I didn't finish the book. Going wow, that was great! I can't wait to find out what happens next issue. Even though I am kind of curious, but oh, it, it, with the whole it, thing about the. Uh... The Nairobi being You know up? it's not them, so... Well, of course you do. And and I got some stuff to say about that, too. 
Okay. Tell me. Okay, so it's like okay, so in two instances, actually three instances, if you count uh, what that alien race had seen, there have been uh, sightings of this doppelganger, which right. now for the first time actually did something. Uh, this yep. Enterprise doppelganger, that is. So obviously somebody's been messing around for a while and we've been hinted around uh, for a while, the beginning of this issue and then the issue seven, I think it was. So, um, but it's like, doesn't the Enterprise have some kind of automated log keeping? Uh, and maybe they're going to say, oh, it was falsified. But, I mean, if you're fire, I mean, if, if a Federation ship is, is firing its weapons, shouldn't that be logged? I mean... I don't know. Count the number of photon torpedoes that are aboard, or something. Well, that's what they did on Star Trek VI. Remember, they had they had a log of every phaser right. and every photon torpedo. Oh, that yeah, was that's fired. right. Okay, so that number uh, number six, right? Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. So okay, so that's a good example. Well, not so only somebody... that, but but the Enterprise has been in contact with people while yes. this fake Enterprise is out doing this stuff. I mean, exactly. they have. You know, well, sometimes well, Starfleet Command is in contact with them at the same time that this <clears throat> crazy stuff's going on. So. I, I agree, but and I was just thinking about that. It's like, okay, are the um, Anorans that under the thumb of the Ferengi that they're going to lie, especially that, that Speaker of the Council? Because obviously the Speaker of the Council knows where they are. They're right there. I mean, I'm not sure the exact timing. Well, no, actually, you, we, we do – we know enough. We know that after uh, the Admiral called, uh, called Picard at the beginning of the issue, when they found out that Beverly was sick, then mm-hmm. best speed they made to get to, to, uh, to Honora. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the Anorans have been in contact with them. So if they're not going to lie, because this whole, this whole thing could end up being a Ferengi trick, especially when you consider that Ferengi seems to be the bad guys that are, you know, the... The Federation issues seem to be uh, spiking up a little bit here uh, in what they're talking about. Uh, and the fact that they were spotted in Ferengi space. I mean, that could have been falsified easily by the Ferengi. Um, but still, so, you know, maybe the Anorans would be able to corroborate. Maybe not. Um, and then as far as the aliens from the seventh issue, well, I mean, they, they're the ones that thought they saw the Enterprise. So, I mean, Starfleet may not even know about that incident. And, right. Uh, and, you know. and, and is this the Enterprise just because it's another Galaxy-class ship, or does it also have the transponder codes of the Enterprise? The, well, I mean, it, they haven't gone into any, yeah, they, any they haven't detail gone in, yeah. as to how and, everybody knows. And if the statement they made that the Enterprise is the only uh, Galaxy-class ship, then that would kind of make it... And maybe why they put that stake in the ground um, in the previous issue is just because of this. Right. Because uh, they knew, uh, you know, they, they the ID of them as the perpetrators of this, uh, this atrocity uh, had to be very solid. So maybe that's why they, they made that point. Anyway, so... I, you know, it just seems like the, between people, between technology, there's something that should be able to confirm where the Enterprise was. Unless it's a the bunch real. of – unless it's from the Mirror Universe. <laughs> and it is the Enterprise D from the Mirror Universe. Oh, my God. Could it be? Hmm? Hmm? I, I say this is a Frankie trip. 
trick. But mirror universe, who knows? Could be. Now, did, did we actually see a mirror universe Enterprise D? Not on TV. Oh, but in books? Yeah, in books there was some, and then in some of Shatner's books there's some. Oh, okay. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. I, I know how much you love Shatner's books. Uh, I've only read a few, and I didn't think that much of them. But, I mean, they were okay. They were okay. Anyway, so, yeah. um, let's see. Uh, you know when they, they, they spent all that time at the beginning uh, establishing Picard as an expert swordsman? I was almost sure they were going to use that somehow later in the, ep- uh, in the issue. But it never came up, so, okay, fine. So much for that theory. There's a great book written by Peter David. Darn it, I forgot what it's called. But anyways, it's uh, about Picard's dealings with Trelane. Oh, huh, right. And right. Q. Right. Um, and it has uh, it has a really cool shot of Picard fencing on the cover that this, this first couple of pages reminded me of. Oh, uh, cool. Anyways, go ahead. So Sorry, did, did, did Picard... Did Picard ever do the fencing thing? I mean, except for that episode where they were stupidly in a Robin Hood thing, uh, a Robin Hood scenario constructed by Q. Did Picard ever do the fencing thing in uh, in, in the, the show? Next gen? Yeah, the they show? did. They did? Okay. Yeah. I don't remember it. But what's funny is that Kirk never did. And yet, in, was it last issue or last episode where we had Kirk? fencing in front of Blaze to try to show off. Yeah. I, I always think it's funny that, that they they keep putting Kirk and 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 Picard here in these uh these fencing kind of things. Right. Ah yeah. oh, the manly art of fencing. Just funny. With these thin little blades. May I make a comment? You may. So it has to do with um Picard's most difficult decision of his life. Ah, yes. Well, definitely the whole... Th- yeah, are you going to bring in the idea of what happened to Mr. Crusher? Or... Yep, okay, I was. Good, because I, ha- I had something about that, too. Go. So when when did that happen? When was that established? That was my question. That he had to choose Jack to die. In the TV show, I always thought they beat around the bush on that. I thought. And I was going to actually ask you for the details because I never knew the details of that. But I do know that's part of the problem where Picard, you know, kind of, you know, at various points in in the series kind of nips around the idea of, hey, Beverly, but he never does anything. Um, right. And, and it's because Picard apparently uh, ordered and I didn't I didn't recall his name was Jack, but apparently ordered Jack to do something. And that ended up him getting killed in the line of duty. But I don't know the details. Yeah. Now, I know that there was a, a novel uh, and it was also written by Michael Jan Friedman. Oh, okay. uh, actually, several novels with uh, Picard's. There's some where he's meeting up with some former crewmates of the um, the Stargazer. Mm-hmm. And then he has some straight up Stargazer stories as well. Right. And definitely in the ones I think it's called Reunion, they definitely go through the whole thing that happens with why and how Jack Crusher dies. Uh. And my question is is I couldn't remember. Am I getting it mixed up with the with the with the 
books that I've read, or is that ever actually explained in the show itself that Jack was ordered to his death by by Picard? I don't remember it ever being explained in detail. Okay. Um, okay. But but I I did I did know he did that, but I had no details. So Picard yeah. Picard was responsible, or he felt he was responsible for his death, but uh, I. I no details. And, yeah, and I'd be kind of interested in knowing which episode uh, delved into that even a little bit, just to find out what they did say about it. Actually, no, it's, it was in the episode. The Coming coming of Age, that, that what, last Wesley show. Oh, where, okay. Oh, actually, no, Coming of Age is uh, where he goes to Starfleet Academy. Okay. That's it. Picard tells him the story then, because when when he's trying to get uh, uh, Wesley into Starfleet Academy early, and he does tell him that. He doesn't go into any detail, but he does say that it was his order. He had to do it to uh, save the rest of the crew. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So it wasn't all just in the books. Anyways, I think that's a that would be a harder decision than giving the pl- uh, engine design to the um, to the uh, Ferengi, and that was that was season. Yeah, but well, yeah. Well, that's if that's what he did. But what if he had to say to protect many, many more lives um, that Beverly had to die? Right, and that's what he should have done. Knowing that he sent Wesley's father to to, to death, and now he's making a decision that he's, his, his uh, mother's going to die too. Well, he's gonna, it, it's weighing on him because he is he would have been responsible for killing both of Wesley's parents. Well, I guess that would have been a little harder. And he kind of has the hots for Beverly, and they're going to get hooked up in the future. So uh, what? There's there's always that. What you're you're just throwing stuff out there now, or are you going to tell me some expanded universe thing talks about that? Yeah, and the and the novel uh, that happens after Inter- oh, that uh, figures. Nemesis. That completely figures. In the novels after Nemesis, they are definitely an item. Oh boy. A big time item. Oh boy! Like sharing bed items. I think they only have one quarters in in the new Enterprise E. If you know what I'm saying. Ah, jeez. Yeah. So another thing that I thought was weird, and in the flashback scene to when Beverly was on the planet 20 years ago. Right. She's wearing season one outfit. Oh, is she? Instead of the season <laughs> three outfit they're wearing now, but but. But even I don't then. Know, but yeah, they should be wearing. This is a long the, time uh, ago. They should be wearing like the Wrath of Khan looking type uniforms. The thinner material, but it looks the same style as the Wrath of Khan, like they wore on Enterprise C. Right. Which, if I'm not mistaken, there's going to be some later flashback star stargazer flashbacks here pretty soon that will show them in those uniforms. But for whatever reason, in this one, there she's wearing a season one outfit. Which I give them nods to at least putting her in the season one outfit, but <laughs> that's the least they could do. Well, I mean, at least they tried. Yeah. Well. Well. So did they think it would be too much? Uh, throw people off too much to see an, the the even older costume? Well, you got to remember, we didn't really know what they wore at that time until yesterday's Enterprise, and yesterday's Enterprise would have been coming out probably after they started working on this comic, because because yesterday's wait, wait, Enterprise came out in. Kuda. Uh, Akuda April. figured all this stuff out. What's that? Akuda figured all this stuff out a long time ago. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. And, and he had it written out 
during season one and two? <laughs> he had it written down somewhere. He he wrote it down here. He had it written down here. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were being serious. I was not. Okay. But I'm, I'm just saying the guy seems to, to know. He's continuity, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I don't think he had anything to do with the, the comic books. No, but he – no. But he has something to do with uh, knowing ahead of time, maybe, what kind of costumes they were u- weren't using when. But Not costumes. Uniforms. Uniforms. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uniforms. You're, you keep using the wrong word. Uniforms. Okay. All right. That, that was my last nitpicky, and it was just kind of a nitpicky thing. What else you got? Uh, quickly, I think uh, page 10's three drawings of the Enterprise were extremely poor, especially so it, they're, it's moving, so it, become, it comes the, – the first one is really small. Then as it moves closer, it becomes bigger and bigger. And then the, the third one is the biggest one, and it looks like a fourth grader drew it. It's, it's like a, a, a pie pan. <laughs> a pie fan, right, 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 right. It's yeah. it's just not good. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, and I'm going to mention Helmsman Forthol. Okay, where is this guy? So he should be like in one of the last panels. Uh, okay, okay. So he is on page 22. So he this is this is when uh, Picard oh, okay. is saying head out to Starbase, whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. and then the other two ships come. So look at that guy's look at that guy's head. Mm-hmm. I mean, his face is human. Of course, his upper torso is fine, and he's got some kind of weird brown. I don't know. Is it hair? Is it a helmet? I don't know. <laughs> and then there's this pink, fleshy kind of thing, but you know, chin strap going from the top of his hair helmet. I don't know. Down, under his chin, and back up the other side. I mean, is it holding his hair helmet thing on? But it's flesh. I don't know. Uh, it looks weird, and and for whatever reason, I keep thinking of uh, Star Trek uh, Six when uh, that shape shifting woman tells Kirk that not everybody keeps their genitalia in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> Not that this looks like that, but but wouldn't it be funny if that's what it was? <laughs> oh, that's gross. It is gross, but that's. I mean, it doesn't always have to be in your knees or or normal right. region. Right, exactly. So, was it knee? Is is in the knees? Is that where it is? In, in that episode, it was because Kirk, Kirk hits some dude in the knees and he falls down, and then McCoy's like, "You're lucky he has." sensitive knees and then that woman is like says that right not gotcha. everybody keeps their genitalia in the same place while she's smoking that little cigar uh-huh, come on right you remember this i remember it now i remember the comment in general general terms i didn't remember all the nuances i haven't seen uh that that particular uh movie in a while okay so uh yeah so that um i thought C- captain lavelle's hair was uh freaky Skunk hair. Skunk hair. So, so that's who you were talking about with skunk hair? Yeah. I oh, thought that's that... who you were talking about. No, like no, that not... other girl, And I'm like, I don't see what you're talking about, but okay. No. No, it's the helmsman. Yeah, he looks crazy. He's wild, man. He's just wild. Uh, now, and, and he must spend a lot of time getting his hair that way, because he's got these little wing things coming off on the side with his hair kind of flipped up and stuff. It's it's It must take a little time to get right. Hey, you know what? If you look at page 15, just to, yeah. to go back to, what was his name, Furswold or something like that? 
Oh, another spot where you can see him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he's a, he's in navigation now, so I guess he swapped over? I guess. I don't know. Or are you sitting in Data's lap? I don't know, maybe. No. Well, Data's <laughs> obviously in the other place. The other but, side. Uh, but in that one, it looks like he, that, that thing on the side of his head is like some big, giant mutton chops type thing. Oh, right. Right, 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 right. Oh, I thought you were talking about him with where he's to the left of Riker and Picard. Yeah, okay, that the one, top didn't one. Color it at all. Oh, okay. So yeah, he looks a little bit like um, what's his face? Uh, a gorilla dude. Wow. With the mutton chops, he looks like uh, Wolverine. But yeah, but yeah. So his upper lip is really big, between his and, nose and bottom of his nose and top of his lips. Yeah, and in that second picture, the one where he's to the the left of Riker, he looks like Doctor Lazarus on. Uh, he does on Galaxy Quest. Exactly. So you're seeing him in three different pictures, or three different drawings, and he looks different in every one of them. And he looks radically different in every one. Yes, That's and weird. especially at the end. Anyway. Very strange. Very strange. Yeah, I don't get it. Okay. You know everything about their uniforms, not costumes. <laughs> What's that admiral wearing at the beginning of this issue? Is that normal Starfleet attire? Metal on his on the at his no. Throat? I I have never seen. A Starfleet outfit like that. Not okay. a dress uniform, nothing. Yeah, I hadn't either, but I wasn't, because sometimes they do wear some weird outfits the higher up. Exactly. So, all right, I'm glad. I, I, I thought maybe I was just... Uh... No, that's totally new. Never seen anything quite like that. I mean, so, so, so the red part could be kind of sort of normal, and the black part could be kind of sort of normal, but that gold piping... Three yeah. bands of gold going across the black part, and then definitely the collar. I've never seen that before. With the big metal at the, at his throat, it's like exactly, a, looks right. like a, I don't know, some sort of like medallion. It looks it looks like a medallion slash bullseye or something. I don't know. <laughs> or uh, yeah, or a scope. A scope I, I, you know. I think the artwork in this issue was was not the greatest. Right. All overall. Yeah, that that guy who had the broken arm that. Uh, Beverly was attending to before he went down. Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's kind of weird looking, especially in the last thing you see him where he says, "Help!" He just, oh yeah, he just looks weird. He does look a little weird. Looks a little emaciated. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is he supposed to be human? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I he think he I think weird. he probably is. He just looks a little odd. Okay. All right. That's uh, all I got to say. Have we beaten that one up enough? Beat it up. It's a bloody pulp. All right. So in the uh, elsewheres, we're going to just briefly talk about what next-gen episodes were coming out. Uh, starting in April, we started with the Captain's Holiday, which was the – that was the Vash episode, right? Yes. So that's where we first saw Vaj, and they were on Ryza, weren't they? Yeah, that's where he meets her. Or no, what? were they? Yeah, they were, and then – they were on some sort of archaeological dig or whatever. Exactly. And it turns into a action-adventure with a mysterious and beautiful Vaj woman. I liked her a lot. And then they, then they bring her back for that Q episode in uh, Deep Space Nine, and I right. think they kind of ruined her her character. Yeah, they didn't Yeah, they didn't seem to do that much with her. I mean, not only was she a really cool character and stuff, and, and nice to see the captain with a kind of dangerous kind of woman. You're not quite sure where she's coming from. But she was a really attractive actress. Yeah, she was. 
Very smart. Very, you know, very smart looking lady. Yep, I liked it. Yep. All right, and then at the end of April we had Tin Man. Uh, that's the one where that Beta Z boy genius, or I guess he was a man, but he he definitely emphasized empathized with Wesley being a boy genius. Right. Uh, he tracking down that living ship. Right. Uh right. Can you hear the dogs? Oh yeah. <sighs> beagles. Don't ever get beagles. Anyway, go ahead. No, that was it. Do you have anything to say about that episode? I remember Data being involved. No, I I don't really remember all that much about it. But uh, they definitely were trying to to protect this this living ship. Wasn't Tin Man actually there to commit suicide or something? I don't remember. I I just remember it it ends with that little – with that Beta Z guy staying on on board. Right. I think there was something about uh, Tin Man – Positioning himself near a Nova or something to commit oh, that's suicide right. or something. I yeah, know, something that's like right. That. That's right. Something like that. Hollow Pursuits. I don't remember that one. Remind me what that one was. Hollow Pursuits was where we met. Well, at least he had a big part. I don't know whether he was shown before. We met um, Crewman uh, Barkley, or as Picard would say, Broccoli. That was the holodeck episode. Exactly. So Hollow Pursuits, as in Holodecks, where Reg was kind of addicted to the Holodeck. Yeah, and so he wasn't really doing his job that well. Yeah, and that was the that was the episode that while I was watching it as a little kid, and the little light bulb came, went on, and I was like, "Oh, you could just program anybody you know, and uh, they could be naked." Yeah. <laughs> oh, <that's> a- <laughs> So Hollow Pursuits, I did I, I liked that episode. There was a lot of humor in it, and I especially like when Riker was uh depicted by Reg as this little this little short guy in a uniform that was kind of clueless. Yeah, well, he was really stupid, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Like he couldn't <laughs> even like put a sentence together. Yeah, something like that. And of course he and of course he got the girl, Reg did in the holodeck, who was Troy. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> And that's when Picard put on – then they have to put in some sort of rule that you couldn't do holodecks of people on the crew or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Party over. I guess they lifted that rule on Voyager because there was a few where the crew was depicted in the holodeck. Ah. All right. So the next episode this season was The Most Toys, which I just finished watching right before we started recording. Yeah. And that was the one where Data got captured by a evil maniacal collector. Yes. Um, possibly my three favorite episodes in uh, STNG. Uh, this is one of them. Is that I right? Really, I really like this episode. That little dude was just plain evil. He was. He, he was all happy and kind of comical, but he would kill you just as, just as soon as talk to you. Exactly. Because he was enough of a businessman to know that if he could manipulate people into getting what he wants, great. But if he had to kill people, no problem with that either. Yeah, I like it right at the end when when Data has the gun pointed at him and he's like, you can't shoot me. He's like, you're going to have to let me go and I'm going to kill this guy right here. And he just pointed to a random crew member that was laid on the ground. Right. He's like, and there's nothing you're going to do. And then Data gets beamed up right at the last minute. Exactly. And then what does – what – what is Riker told by, um, I guess, O'Brien, 
Yeah, it was uh, O'Brien. That that, uh, that in the transport beam, a uh, a weapon's been discharged, and they're able to deactivate it. Yep. Uh, in transport, so data apparently pulled the trigger. Well, he had to. He or had least, to. He, he had, had no to choice. at that moment. It was a choice of killing uh, a murderer um, or allowing innocent people to die. Yep. And what does Data say when P- Riker asks him about the uh, weapons discharge, discharge? He said, perhaps it was a malfunction in the beaming process and just walks off. <laughs> so he doesn't quite lie he just mentions that it could be something else but he definitely doesn't tell the truth exactly so oh, yeah. our our squeaky clean never tell a lie childlike properties data grew up yep just like Spock he, he doesn't necessarily lie but he can work around the truth if he needed to exactly now good episode I, I just wish that they would have put Data in, instead of trying to get him to sit on that chair. If if he had like a uh, a cardboard backing with a little plastic uh, a little plastic case to put him in, mm. so that he'd look like a little action figure inside ah. of a <laughs> right. And it's like I've never opened the ba- I've never opened the box. Never. Anyways, all right. The next episode was Sarek, which was the uh, first episode that starred. Sarek in the next gen. <laughs> the actor, Mark <laughs> Leonard. Yep. And yep. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. And in it, it mentions offhand that the last time Picard saw Sarek was at, quote, his son's wedding. Ah. Which you knew at the I time thought... had to be Spock because, well, you assume it was Spock because right. Sabok was already dead. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I guess. But I, I guess he would have been. I guess he could have had another kid at some point. Right. Because didn't he have like a super hot young wife in Sarek because Amanda had already been dead for so long? I don't maybe, remember. Maybe I don't remember her hot, being but... super hot. I mean, he had a new wife, but I didn't She's definitely younger him. than he was. That's, that's what well, I'm Well, yeah. Well, who wouldn't be? Dirt. He married Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> he was so pretty old by this point. <laughs> so he could have had another kid or two. Yeah, could have. Could have. All right, next episode, Menage Troy. Yes. Which was the uh, Ferengi kidnapping Riker and the two Troy women. Yep. Damon. Was the, was the Ferengi's name? Well, Damon is what their version of Captain is. So he would have been Damon. Oh, I'm sorry. A Ferengi. Uh, right. That was his title, Damon. Right, right. Right. Sorry. Yeah, for, and if I'm not mistaken, that was Ethan Phillips played that. that Oh, really? That particular Ferengi. Oh, well, hmm, interesting. Maybe. I'd have to look it up, and we're running small world. I'll look it up later. He was in that episode. If he wasn't the main Ferengi, he was uh, the other one. Right. Uh, But anyways, that was a good one with Troy, uh, the uh, Luxana Troy. Right. Having to do Umox on the Daemon and all that other nasty (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I seem to recall it was resolved at the end when Picard had to badly act that he loved Luxana and all that kind of stuff. So it was interesting. He had to be like a jealous lover. Exactly. So it was interesting (laughs) seeing Patrick Stewart, who was a a phenomenal actor, uh, whether doing this kind of stuff or doing Shakespeare or doing anything, 
try to get it right, how would Picard act? Because he's not an actor, you know, and and he acted badly. <laughs> so hitting the right badness quotient <laughs> is kind of interesting. Yeah, that was good. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, he he did it to some degree uh, for humor, but not too much. I thought that's good. Yeah, and then the next issue or episode was Transfigurations, which was uh, forgetable. A girl I don't remember into much about it. Energy person. What'd you say? Yeah. I don't remember much about that one at all. Yeah, I don't either. I just remember I thought that when she turned into the energy being, she looked like the aliens on uh, Cocoon. No. <laughs> which was pretty popular at one yeah. point. All right, and then the last episode of season three was uh, an episode that I don't think too many people have ever watched. Uh, I, I don't Best think Best of so. Both Worlds Part I One. No, no, I, I, don't, I don't think it was very popular. Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a eh. Sure. It's only the number one. It's got between that one and then the follow-up, the part two. It's just, got, I mean, that's got to be. Isn't that like the number one and two episodes ever? It's got to. Uh, it is. It has to be. It has. And, to be. and and I love I love watching like VH1 does a whole bunch of like little specials, and I've seen them bring this up on uh, you know the biggest cliffhangers of all time, and oh, yeah. this is always way up there at the top because. You know, at least me as a kid, this was a mind-blowing event on me. I mean, like, right. I was like, oh, man, what's going to happen next year? It, it's all over, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's all over, man. <laughs> We're all going to die. No. Uh, I was I was convinced that uh, Riker was going to be the new captain and Shelby was going to be the new number one. I mean, it oh. was <laughs> – nah. that was a done deal for me back then. Nah. Uh, well. Yeah, and, and I was older and more crotchety. And I, uh, no, I did, I, but I was wondering to myself, how the heck are they going to get him out of this one? You know, exactly. How, I got to wait how long till I find out how this resolves? Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and I especially think that the acting and the writing, especially in some of the interactions between Shelby and Riker, were really good. And the whole idea that Riker was having doubts about himself. Uh, and and sticking around in the Enterprise so long, and that here comes this young hotshot coming up wanting to take his job, and him probably feeling a bit insecure. Uh, I think that whole thing was great. Yeah, and then they also kind of bring up, you know, the only thing he's really accomplished in his life was being on that ship because you know he he failed at his relationship with uh, Troy, you know, because mm-hmm. he put his career first, right? And now he's getting an offer to you know, further his career or he can stay with his friends and kind of do what he should have maybe done way back when with, with Troy. Right. So no, I agree. That was a great episode all the way around. Right. And that was it for the elsewhere. And, uh, I guess we won't have any of these in the next couple of, uh, next gen episodes that we do because they are in hiatus. But, uh, so next week we'll get back together and we will do, uh, the original series, 10, 11, 12, we'll be closing out the first year of our 90s look at Star Trek. So it's going to be fun. It is because this is all great stuff. This is all re- really well done uh, for the most part. Yeah, Michael, Michael Jan Friedman, Peter David, they know their stuff. Exactly. And it's good. So until then, I guess we'll let everybody go. See you next time, everybody, on Star Trek. Comic Book Radio. 
Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.